The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. So now let's uh, take just a minute before we enter into God's Word to pray today. I want to pray especially this morning uh, for you who are here as fathers, a little as I prayed with Tim uh, and Stephanie, but what a significant role you play. Don't let our culture in any way, shape, or form diminish your value uh, in the life of your family, uh, in the life uh, to speak into the lives of your sons uh, and daughters as dads. Never lose your voice. Part of the problem of the fall uh, was the silence of Adam standing next to Eve, and men, unfortunately, have been silent ever since, and we need to regain our voice, not in a domineering and in a crushing manner, uh, but a voice of strength a voice of love, a voice of leadership uh, within our homes. And so I want to pray for you. Men, I want to pray for those of you who uh, would love to be dads, that that blessing would come to you. And for others of you who are here who have lost sons, uh, pray for your peace and comfort that this is a difficult day uh, for you. So let's, uh, let's pray this morning. Father, we come this morning and we celebrate you primarily and foremost that you are our Father, who art in heaven. And we, we give incredible exaltation to your name, hallowed be your name. And we know that you are our true Father, and that all fathers are derived from that. And we pray that those of us who are dads would see you, and that our lives would reflect your beauty and majesty and strength and tenderness, all of these qualities Uh, that are so hard to be found in humanity, but are found in you, would you, by the power of your Spirit, bring them to bear in our lives? Thank you for the privilege of being a father. And we pray for the men who are here, who are dads, that, uh, Father, you would help us to do well. And where we've done poorly, uh, that your word says that you love to restore the years that the, the moth has just eaten away. And I pray that we would take opportunity even now to restore broken relationships with our sons and daughters, that we would uh, take time even now to restore relationships with our earthly fathers, and that we would be made right in those ways. Father, for some who are here who want to be a dad and can't, I pray that you would be comfort to them, that you would be an encouragement to them. For others who are fathers who've lost sons, or sons who have lost their fathers, and today uh, is a hard day, uh, I pray that you would be our comfort and our strength. You'd be very near to us, as you promise in your word. And Father, for all of our families, you protect us, that we would bring you glory, and that we would live in such a way that would draw the outside world, looking in to come and to want to know the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ in a relationship with him. We pray this in your son's name and ask now that you would bless the reading and the hearing of your word. Amen. We come now as part of our series on the summer in the Psalms, and we are looking this morning at Psalm 46. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn over there. And Lisa, if I could ask you a favor, if you could hand me my phone so that I'm not preaching until somebody's you know, time for lunch with dad. I'm sure you all have reservations somewhere uh, for dad. If you don't, probably too late. So, 
But we're coming to Psalm 46, and as we look at this psalm, we're reminded uh, of the other psalms that we have considered the last two weeks, Psalm 19 and Psalm 62. Psalm 19 uh, talked about knowing the knowable God, uh, that God has condescended himself and made himself known to us. Therefore, it's not ego and pride on the part of the Christian to say that we know God, uh, but it is God making himself known to us through his word and through creation. And so we celebrate both of those things. Uh, Last week, we talked about the onlyness of God, uh, that God alone or God only is our source of strength and of hope and of care uh, and of life, and that it exposed some of the counterfeits that were out there, and he showed himself to be that to us. And this morning, Psalm 46 has some similarities to Psalm 62. It runs along a similar pattern uh, of basically presenting to us uh, counterfeits which are in the world, or uh, I'll say as a matter of change for this week, false sources of security uh, within the world. Uh, Then God presents himself as the true source of our security uh, and hope within the world. And then we ask the question, how do we appropriate that? What do we do with that truth? It's not just an objective truth uh, to be out there, to be known, but it is to be brought into our hearts that we are active in applying these things. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning in the psalm. So uh, let's read together uh, this psalm. Uh, Psalm 46, to the choir master uh, of the sons of Korah, according to the Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. This is the word of the Lord. May he add his blessing to the reading and to the hearing of it. Amen. To the choir master, so it is to be sung, a song uh, to be included within the worship of God's people as it has been uh, today and that we will now have opportunity to sing uh, in weeks to come. Just as the sons of Korah wrote, that they looked at God as their ever-present help uh, in times of trouble, and they looked and they, they used these different pictures and language, and we're going to unwrap those first to see that what they present first are false sources of security for us. False sources of security. Now remember the Psalms uh, are, are beauty, they are art, they're poetry, and they use literary figurative language uh, to bring about or to point to us to reality or to literal things. 
And so it's not that as you go through this psalm, you say, oh, mountains really collapsed and seas really did this, or all of these things happened. That They have in the course of history. It wasn't that the sons of Korah were necessarily saying uh, on May 16th of this date these things happened, but they're saying in general, look, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, they basically are saying this, Everything that is seemingly stable, the earth, the mountains are moved, the waters roar and foam, uh, the mountains tremble. Uh, It's fascinating. It says the earth give way and and basically were swallowed up within them. And in your mind, you would go, oh my goodness, how ironic and how interesting that the sons of Korah wrote this. Because Korah, you would remember, uh, was part of the rebellion of the 250 against Moses. And Aaron, that when Moses and Aaron were gone, that Korah and the others rose up against because they were jealous of Moses and of Aaron and of their place, and they wanted to be exalted. And so God gathered them together, and he said, hold all 250 of you, hold your censers, and come out from in front of your tents, and I will make judgment against you. And at that moment, Moses pleaded on their behalf for their rebellion against God. But God said, Moses, you and Aaron need to step back. And they stepped back. And the Lord judged Korah and the 250 followers who were there. And it says that the earth opened and swallowed them underfoot. And then it says later that when the fires had quit raging... And so, interesting, fascinating, that of the family lineage uh, of the ones who would write this psalm with that kind of imagery, they had in mind even the imagery of their foreparents, uh, their forefathers, who stood there on solid ground and said, this ground is solid, it's secure, I can place my life on it, I'm standing right here. And the God of the universe spoke and it opened and swallowed them under in this judgment. And they realized something, my stability isn't on that rock. My stability is not on that mountain. My stability is not in that sea because it roars at times and it foams and it throws its foam. If you've ever been around in the Mediterranean Rim when the rocks and the waves crash and the foam is thrown up into the air and they're giving this incredible picture of all of these things and so they're basically saying, hey, everything that you see, discount it. That can't be your stability. That can't be your hope because those things, they're shakable and they're movable. And then he makes an interesting statement in verse 6. He said, nations will rage and kingdoms will totter. You think, what in the world? Nations raging and kingdoms totter. But you would know this, that the Hebrew words for shake and for roar in verse 2 and 3 about the seas and the mountains are the same words that are used against the nations would shake, or the kingdoms would shake and the nations would roar. He's saying this, these things are not stable. These things which you think that you can place your hope in, the mountains, the sea, the land, all of these great places of strength, kingdoms and nations, all of them, they're tottering and they're teeting and they're unstable. Don't place your faith in them. They're false sources of stability. And as we turn and we go, but what do those mean for us today? We're not an agrarian culture. We're not a culture that's driven by the the earth, uh, that we're dependent upon it per se. And so we go, well, of course I'm not. It's not this ground. It's not this. Okay, well, what about this? How many of you were incredibly upset in November at the election and in the months ensuing ever since? 
How many of you uh, look at the political systems that we have in place, the political structures that we have in place, and over and over and over again they disappoint because they don't do what they're designed to do? That there's a deep self-serving within a political system that it takes care of its own and those who have the the most desperate need of help so often are the ones who don't get it. The ones who don't need the help are the ones who do get it. Coming back again as I was from South Africa, uh, and it was an important movement 25 or 30 years ago when apartheid was, was destroyed, uh, that the white supremacy within South Africa was removed because of its oppressive nature. And, and so there was a black uh, new movement and leadership which was in there. And what's happened is there is now a total disenchantment of people uh, within South Africa. Because now the tribal and the black people who thought that having a black government was going to now change their lives and save them, they found that politics are politics, black or white. And that what's happening in the townships within there is now all these new townships are being built with new houses being built. And for the poor people who are in huts are supposed to get the new houses that the government's building. And instead the government officials are inviting their friends and their their family members from other portions of the country to come live in the new houses. And the people who most desperately need it aren't getting it. Or you would read in the headlines and you would think in recent days that Philando Castile would think that the police were supposed to protect him and instead they shot him. And he would ask, and his family would ask, where's justice in the midst of this? Where is justice? Because we are watching within our own country a a racial tension that is growing. A distrust between systems that are supposed to somehow work together. And people are, are getting disenchanted with it because we've placed our hope in politics. It's a fascinating movement, and I don't have time to go into it, of how the church is aligning itself politically. Folks, be very careful with that. The church is to be apolitical. The church has a political view on things, but the church isn't to be Democrat or Republican or Libertarian or Independent. It's to be the church. It's to point to the true king and to say we want men and women in place, Democrat or Republican, who are going to have God's perspective on things. And what we find out at the end of the day, most don't. And so we have to work within a system, but we can't put our hope in that system. It's going to disappoint you. How many of you have had a relationship that's failed in your life? (laughs) There's a good amen right there. Ha! Yeah, all of us. And how many of you have been wounded deeply by it? So many of us. Because we put our hope in the relationship. That that mountain, if I just get married, if I just have children, if I'm just friends with this person, if I just get invited to this prom, if I just get into this fraternity or sorority, if I'm just included in this social, if I'm just around these people, then then I'm going to have stability in my life. And what we find is these things that we place our hope in just fail us. Fathers leave, mothers leave, parents get divorced. Children rebel. The family disintegrates. Boyfriends break up with us. Girlfriends break up with us. We don't get an invitation to the prom. We don't get a bid to the fraternity. We're sitting on the outside. We don't get in. And so we look and we go, oh my goodness. This relationship that was supposed to be my security now is failing me. It's crumbling. It's it's breaking apart. And I feel like I'm being sucked down with it right into the middle of it. Or your health deteriorates. The interesting thing about health is this. It doesn't care about how much money you have. It doesn't care about your gender. It doesn't care about your age. It doesn't care uh, about your race. Because here's what happens to all of us. We begin to deteriorate. You know that, right? (laughs) You feel that each day a little bit, maybe. 
But the fact of the matter is, our health breaks us down. And if you placed your hope in the mountain, in the sea, in the strength of your health, and it begins to fail you, you realize, what am I placing? I'm lost. My stability is lost. Our finances evaporate. There are some who would say that their greatest fear is that they outlive their investments. Because they're so terrified that I'm not going to have anything to take care of me at the end of the day. Their hope is in that investment. Their hope is in that portfolio. Their hope is in the provision that the stock market will make and do for us. But finances have a way of evaporating. And even for some of you, maybe you're tipping your toe back into church. You've been gone for a while because you put your hope in religion. That the church was going to to save you. And what you found within the church is that old adage that the church is an awful lot like a sausage factory. You really enjoy the finished product, but you don't like to see what goes into making it. And you find out that in the church, there's broken people making broken decisions, hurting one another, and doing things that we shouldn't do. And if you place all your hope in the church, it's unstable. And so what the sons of Korah were highlighting was this. There's a lot of instability in the world. But we live in a world that basically markets all of the unstable things as if they're stable. That you need something. And it knows that we need something. It knows that we need stability. And that if we just take this pill, or we join this club, or we live in this neighborhood, or we have this thing, or we have this much money, then you're going to have stability. And they market against this need, and they drive us towards it, and we put all of your hope in those things, and when they fail, you find yourself lost in the middle of it. And that's where the sons of Korah and the people of Israel were. They were lost in the middle of a time of trouble. They needed help. They needed something. They were unstable. And God says, I'll show you the true source. He always shows us the false source. God's great love for you, by the way, is to expose the false sources of hope in your life. Parents, here's a great prayer for you, for your children. God, would you take away the pleasure of sin for them? That they, whatever they do, that it just wouldn't be satisfying to them. Would you take away that satisfaction that it promises to them so that they come and they're brought to the end of themselves and they turn and maybe they go, oh my gosh, it promised me this, but it brought me this. And in your own life, that God would take away the satisfaction that sin promises. Because as one old country pastor said, you know, sin, people sin because sin spelled backwards is nice. Really bad, isn't it? I was like, no, it's niss. But sin is so good and tasty because Satan designed it that way. That he said it's going to have just a little hair of taste in it so that it's sort of like honey, but not really. And then you try to drink it and it's salt water that drives you crazy and insane versus fresh water that gives you life. And so God always exposes the false sources first. And then he says, now, let me present to you the true source. And here again, it's not, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to be a, a, a pastor and preacher, by the way. And that's a good thing. Because the true source is always God. The answer, ultimately, at the end of the day, is God in the middle of this. God says this, here's all the false sources, here's the true source, me. God presents himself as the highest end. God is most jealous for his glory and most jealous for his name because he says my name, my glory, my personhood is the most important and the highest good for all humanity. Therefore, I do not want it mixed up with anything else. 
I present myself as a mountain, and I present myself as a refuge, and I present myself as all of these things, but I'm not like those things which can be shaken. I am unshakable. I am God, and I am different, and I am other. I'm holy and distinct from that. And he presents himself here in that way. He says, I'm the true source, and I'm your refuge, meaning he's our shelter, our hope, and our trust. If you apply that word a little bit, especially in the context of today, who What kind of people need a refuge? What kind of people live in a refuge? Do you know? Refugees. And God is saying of us, humanity, you are refugees. You are sojourners. This isn't your home. This world will not and cannot sustain you. It is actually at enmity against you. And therefore, you need to find a refugee camp. You need to find a place of refuge, a city of refuge, wonderful Old Testament language and imagery. And you need to run to that city of refuge. And you, the refugee, need to find hope. It it does happen to speak to the political current of our day of how we should be caring for other people who are refugees in this world. It just does. And so we look and we go, oh my goodness, I'm a refugee and God is my place of refuge. But here's the first thing, folks, isn't it kind of humbling to have to admit that you're a refugee? That you're the sojourner? That you're the one without protection? That you're the one who's being pursued? It goes against our very human nature. It is an affront to our pride. But the gospel always is. And God says, if you really want to come to me, if you want me to be your source, you first have to humble yourself and see yourself in this way, that you're the lowest of the low in that sense, and I'm your place for you to run to. So he is our great refuge, and he's our strength. Who needs, who needs someone who's really stronger than them? It's someone who's weak. God's saying now, I'm your strength. Well, what does he mean by that? A little left-handed, maybe a little right-handed. You're weak. Your enemies are too strong and you're too weak. You need my strength because your strength is insufficient. So you're a refugee who needs a place of refuge. And you're a weak person who needs a place of strength to come. And I'm that for you. And then he says this, I am a very present help in times of trouble for you. I'm a very present help in times of trouble. So many of you, that is underlined, that's marked, that's highlighted. God is a very present help in time uh, of trouble. Look in that language that he's present that he's present with you, that he's right here. Do you realize that in this room is the very presence of the God of the universe? You realize that, right? Does that excite you at all? I mean, think of who would really excite you if they walked in the room. Bono, I don't know, that'd be pretty cool if you two walked in. Uh, maybe the president, maybe the vice president, maybe a former president. Uh, uh, maybe uh, it would be um, just somebody in our culture You'd go, man, if they came, their presence would be awesome. In my home, it was always the threat of the president having dinner with us. Billy, you need to sit up at the table. What if the president was having dinner with us? Like his presence was something significant. And here we come to worship, and God is saying, I'm present with you. My very glory is present with the gathered body of Christ. That's why what we're doing today isn't just perfunctory. It's not just something you do because you have to do it. You do it because God's invited you here. The God of the universe, he says, I'm with you. And that's pretty awesome. But then there's this other thing about his presence with us. 
His presence in the Old Testament was with the tabernacle, which could be carried around, and with the temple, which was the stationary permanent place. And then after Christ was raised from the dead, he sent his Holy Spirit to dwell with us. And in 70 AD, he got rid of the temple and destroyed it by the hands of the Romans, never to be rebuilt again, by the way, uh, with human hands. And he said, the reason that I'm doing that is because now, guess where I dwell? In you. The very Shekinah glory of God that was in that Old Testament imagery of coming down and filling the Holy of Holies. That very presence of God. He's with you. He dwells with you. He's always with you. Isn't that awesome? I mean, this kind of fires me up. This is exciting to think. Because here's what I know about Bill McCutcheon. There's nothing so great about me that would be so inviting to the God of the universe to want to come and hang out with me. But yet he says... I'm with you. I am very present with you. I make my habitation with you. And that my presence with you brings great gladness. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in her midst, dwells with her, and she shall not be moved because of his permanency. We now have permanency uh, in that, and God will help her when morning dawns. So God is present with us. He is in our midst. And, And then he says, and my presence, by the way, it's a presence that does something for you. It makes glad your heart. For some of you, the presence of God is troublesome. But God is saying, my presence should make glad your heart. Think about this. What brings gladness to your heart? I'm a dad at a different stage of life. I'm learning this. And we've got one out of the house living on his own now, uh, as his own man and growing and setting up and establishing his own place in the world. I've got one who's halfway across the world in South Africa and one who's here with us. And Lisa and I had the privilege yesterday of going and being with Will uh, in Charlotte, we pulled up to his townhouse and he opened the door and his presence made me glad to see my son. That I just moved. And for whatever reason, it was so hard to leave him yesterday because I just love being around him. And Zach sent us a picture of him uh, in a field just kind of waving with the sunset behind him. And I just look at that picture and I'm like, I miss the presence of my son. Because with all the stuff that these boys have done over the years that drive me nuts, I still love them. And I still miss them when their rooms are empty. They make glad my heart. And I've been married 25 years last Tuesday. And it makes glad my heart to wake up in the morning next to Lisa and to see her there. And to consider what another 25 years will look like. And to see some of you, Lim Clymer has moved on now to Greensboro, but in those last days of him uh, with Dale after 60 some years of marriage, to see how her presence may glad his heart. God is saying, that's what my presence should be to you. It should make your heart glad to be in the presence of God. To come and to know Him more intimately in His Word. To sing praises where it says that He inhabits the praises of His people. That as we worship and we sing, God says, I'm really close and near to you. And our hearts should just be overwhelmed to go, my God's near. Not it's troublesome that He's here. He says it makes glad your heart. The effect 
is so counterintuitive because they're in the midst of difficulty. And God says that's the beauty of the gospel. When everything else seems to be crumbling away into the sea, when everything else is shaken, I show up. And when I show up, your heart is glad in the midst of trouble. I'm a very present help in times of difficulty. Ah, the beauty of the gospel. And in the midst of that, you'll never be moved. So God is showing himself as the true source of stability, a refuge, a strength, a very present help in times of trouble. And then he says that I'm the Lord of hosts, the Lord of hosts, 261 times in the Old Testament. uh, He uses this description of himself, the Lord Yahweh, uh, the self-existent, redemptive God is the Lord of hosts or the armies of heaven. The NIV translates it Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord Almighty, but he is the Lord of hosts. I had a mom who said, Billy, don't ever forget that you plus God always makes a majority. That you're never in the minority, son. Because you have the Lord, the God of hosts on your behalf. The same God who, by the way, when Jesus was on the cross and they mocked Him and they said, can't you call your dad in heaven and get down? Oh yeah, He could have. Like that. He could have released heaven against them, but He didn't. But here's what He does for us. He releases heaven against all of our enemies. He cares about you that much that you have that kind of powerful ally, friend, father present with you at all times. He is not weak, folks. God is not emasculated. He is a powerful, holy, firm, majestic God. And you can say this, hey, I'm facing something big, but I know this. I've got God on my side. And He has also the God, He says there, of Jacob. This true source is not only God of hosts, but he's the God of Jacob. I don't have time to fully explain it, but we saw it a little bit in this covenantal picture of baptism. He's the God of covenant faithfulness. He basically is saying this, I've been faithful to Jacob and to Abraham and to Isaac uh, and to all of the saints. And I've been faithful to my son Christ and I've been faithful to the apostles and I've been faithful to the early church. I am a covenant keeping faithful God. I will keep my promises to you. You don't have to worry about that. I'm faithful. I'm the God of Jacob in this. So now what do we do with that? We can say, that's really cool. That's awesome. But here's what he says to do. Come now, behold the works of the Lord. And be still and know that I'm God. And I'll be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. The first thing, and there's three simple things here in our response. Behold, do not fear, and be still. Behold, do not fear, and be still. But they're active. These are active. Christianity is never passive. It's not let go and let God. It's not me and thee and wow and thou and all out there. But it is an active pursuit of our faith given to us by Christ as a gift, not based on our works. But we take this gift and we enact it with power to go, okay. And the first thing he says is, behold, what a great word. Consider deeply. Consider deeply. Set your gaze upon him. What it means is this, if you're going to set your gaze on God, what are you not setting your gaze on? Everything else. You're turning actively from looking at everything else which is is shaking and moving and, and threatening and all of these things. And you're going, everything is crashing down around me. Everything is going wrong. Uh, my cancer is, is raging. My finances are deteriorating. My marriage is failing. My kids are rebelling. My parents are driving me nuts. My grades are doing this. Everything around me is shaking. I'm going to look at you though, God. Because like Peter, when he stepped out on the water, he did really well when he beheld Christ. But when he started looking at waves, what happened? He sunk. 
And the interesting thing about that, I don't have time to go into it, is when Christ reached out his hand to lift him up, he was right there. Sometimes I think we think it's like rubber man or go-go arms. Of He was somewhere halfway across the ocean and he started to sink and Jesus went and then pulled him up. He was right there by Jesus. But even right there by Christ, he took his eyes off of him. Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. It doesn't matter how close you are to me, how long you've been walking with me, you still have to focus on me. You have to gaze upon me. Behold, move your gaze away from the crumbling mountains and the raging seas. Move your gaze uh, away from the tottering politics of power and the deteriorating health in your own body. Move your gaze away from everything else and behold the works of the Lord. And then he says, when you begin to do that, fear begins to dissipate. Do not fear. Therefore, therefore, because of these things, therefore... You do not fear. Because God is with us, you don't have to be afraid. Because God is our refuge and strength, you don't have to be afraid. Because God is, fill in the blank, because God is all of these things, you don't have to be afraid. You know that, right? You don't have to be bound by fear. Some of you are paralyzed by fear. And God is saying, look at me, come and know these things. Keep going back into them, push them down into the very marrow of your soul so they become the very life-giving marrow in, your, in who you are. And he says, you don't have to fear And then the final thing that he says is this, be still or cease striving. Be still and know that I'm God. What he's really saying is this, quit fighting your own battles. Quit trying to fight all your own battles. Allow the Lord of hosts, doesn't it sound silly that you're going to try to fight your own battles when you have the Lord of hosts with you? That'd be like, you know, me and Julius Peppers playing on the same team in football. If you don't know who he is. I'm not explaining it, but he's huge and he's fast and he plays for the Panthers and he's incredible. And it'd be like me saying, okay, Pep, I got the tackle and the guard. I got it. Versus saying, Pep, six foot eight, 295 pounds of you, you take on the tackle and the guard and then I'll go around and get the quarterback. That's how it's supposed to work. God is saying this, let me fight your battles for you. Let me do these things for you because you're too weak and your enemies are too strong. Look at how it was applied in the Exodus. Moses is talking to the people. And remember the picture of the Exodus. A bunch of former slaves running away, ill-equipped to fight a battle uh, against the most advanced militaristic army in the entire world at the time. And, it, and Pharaoh was unleashing every bit of it against Israel, against the Hebrews. They've got their backs pinned against the river, or against the Red Sea. And they're standing there. And here's what Moses says. Fear not, stand firm. <laughs> really? Fear not, stand firm. And can you imagine the butts that would come out right about then? But there's a big army. But we don't have anywhere to go. There's a sea behind us. But this, but that, but God. But, 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 but. And God says this. Just stand firm. Fear not. And see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today... You will never see them again. The Lord will fight for you. You only have to be silent. Isn't that awesome? I think that really gives some insight to my life verse in Proverbs, that even a fool, when he keeps his mouth shut, is considered silent. Many of you could use those words of wisdom. Sometimes it's better just to shh. When we want to go back, but God, huh? McCutcheon, shh. Be still. Quit striving. Really what he's saying lovingly is this. Hey, McCutcheon, I don't need your opinion. McCutcheon, 
shush. McCutcheon, shut your mouth. Let me be God, you be you. And here's the deal. At the end of the day, this great little tie-in, and here's where we'll end. He says, I'm going to be exalted at the end of the day. He says, Bill, here's the deal. I care an awful lot about being at the top of the food chain because be, me being at the top of the food chain is the best thing for you and my reputation is, going not, is not going to be sullied in the midst of this. I will be exalted and the way that I'm going to be exalted is I'm going to do incredibly powerful things through incredibly weak people like you. So just hush and let me do the work. Just admit that you need me. Just admit these things. Bill, quit fighting on your own. Stop, cease and let me be God. And you be you. Isn't that freeing to you? Because here's what I see in so many of your lives. You're exhausted by trying to play a role that you were never designed to play. Parents, you can't save your children. Spouses, you can't save your spouses. Friends, you can't save your friends. Friends, you can't find life in things that were never designed to give life. And God is saying this, let me be your source. Pray for your kids, yes. Pray for your spouses, yes. Pursue them lovingly, yes. Present the gospel constantly, yes, 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 yes. But let me be me. You be you. Isn't that awesome? Here's what I know, and we'll end here. This name of Jesus, we're going to sing this great song here in a second. This name of God, Yahweh, the Lord of hosts, is an incredibly powerful name. And you have it at your disposal and you need to pray it regularly. Lord, work on my behalf. Lord, work on my son's behalf. Lord, work on my spouse's behalf. Lord, would you pursue Christ? Would you do what you're, you're designed to do? God, do your work. And show me what role I have to play in it. But you do your work. And let me watch and be amazed. Let's pray.